Singing, please be seated. Uh, we are in a study of, of Paul's letter to the Colossians with special reference to how it is that we are to order our devotional life and especially as a church together make our commitments and make our decisions of what we do and why we do it. And uh, here in Colossians chapter 2 as we pick up reading, I'm uh, only going to focus in on uh, verse 8 and then verses 20 through 23, although I'll be reviewing where, we, where we've come to this point. So, uh, picking up here in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse, uh, verse 8, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Down to verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish in the using according to the commandment and doctrines of men. These things have an appearance of wisdom, indeed, and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, in spirit and in truth, we desire again to come before you and to learn your ways. We pray that uh, as you have given to us a, a word and a devotion, one that is able to build us up and to restore and renew us and present us complete in the fullness of Christ. We pray that these things would be powerful and effective, and that as we have received all things in him, that other things would hold no attraction or allure. We thank you for the mighty power that you have set forth in your word and your holy traditions. We might walk in them this day, for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, uh, we have a great many traditions in uh, our, our world and culture, as we considered earlier, and we have many traditions in the church as well, good traditions filled with meaning, things that God himself has given through his apostles and prophets. For example, Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians about uh, this, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Or speaking about behavior of women in public worship in particular, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I deliver them to you. In fact, uh, talking about the apostles' command that Christians should be diligent, he writes in 2 Thessalonians, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother, who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. We're going to celebrate another tradition here in just a few moments, this Lord's table, which, which he has given to us. And as I typically quote to you, Paul writes, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. This delivering, this delivering on to others is... Uh, the, the cousin of the word tradition. We rightly talk about apostolic tradition, but what we really mean is divine tradition or Christian tradition, keeping the commands and practices that the Lord has given to his church. 
he has given us traditions. The Lord loves traditions. Back in the old days, there were a great number of uh, highly symbolic traditions that the people of God had to follow. Well, we just read a rather long chapter about that, didn't we, in the book of Leviticus? There was a long tradition of uh, what is to be regarded as important for the worship of God, who is to be clean, who is to be not clean, and uh, this just one of a great many instructions and regulations that uh, God had appointed for his holy people. Now, in the New Covenant, we have considerably less in the way of traditions, but traditions we have, traditions we hold, and the question might be, as we come to worship, well, maybe we could have some other traditions as well. Would it be proper for the church to multiply its own traditions? We know that tradition has the power to teach, to remind, to make things significant. As I mentioned before, it has almost a supernatural power to turn something routine and ordinary into something sacred and holy. Can tradition be used as a force for good in the church, a creative force for good? Can we make more, let's say, Bible-based traditions which teach us and remind us of biblical truth, things that would help us to celebrate the redemption as it is in Christ? Well, Paul writes uh, very much to that point here, uh, as he does elsewhere. Paul, after teaching us in chapter 1, we saw two weeks ago, about the preeminence of Christ and how we have received all things in him, and we are complete in him, we saw last week in chapter 2, he turned to the negative side and gave us a great warning Uh, that goes right through the end of the chapter. I only read a little bit of it, but I read to you verse 8. Beware of any philosophy or anything of empty deceit, lest anyone cheat you according to the traditions of men, the basic principles of this world, not according to Christ. And he descends to have several specific things in mind. I'll just review them briefly since we covered them last week. But there are things that were very persuasive yet actually deceiving, things that were plausible and enticing, but which should be strictly avoided, philosophies that will rob us, even of our salvation, chapter 1, verse 23, deceptions that are vain and empty, traditions of men, basic principles according to Christ, Christian Jews who are trying to require the Gentiles to adopt circumcision, verse 11, various requirements of the law, verse 14, food or drink, Verse 16, a festival or new moon or Sabbath, these things which were even divine traditions in the old days, which absolutely must not be continued in the new. There are other things which are on the fringes of Christianity, he mentions, the worship of angels, various visions and people's carnal minds, doctrines and practices that will cheat us of our reward. And then at the end where I read to you this general condemnation of all commandments and doctrines of men that come from the world that come from uh, and not from Christ. And Paul says, look, hey, since you've died to this world with Christ and risen again, we should not be subject to any such commandments, doctrines, principles, or traditions. So to be clear, um, people who teach traditions of men don't usually come in and reject 
the church's tradition. They simply will add to them. Eventually, uh, things begin to uh, shuffle around and the traditions of men end up overriding the commandments of God. There's that matter of Corbin, for instance, that Jesus takes up. But in all these things, there is the promise that we have some more traditions, we have some more practices, um, other things that will make you more using the words of this chapter, mature, spiritual, knowledgeable, holy, give you victory over the indulgence of the flesh. And that's why it is so tempting to spiritual people. And we love tradition. Paul says, beloved, you have received everything. These things are all vain and worthless. They will at best uh, add to, but at worst rob you of him cheat you and take away your reward. They are not of any value against the indulgence of the flesh. They won't produce maturity. They don't give you what you want. Somebody told my little, uh, my nephew some years ago when he was little that not everything he eats is as good for him as other things. So some things will make you stronger. Some things will actually make you weaker. Then when Henry was young, you know what he wanted to know every time he got a plate? He wants to know about each thing on the dish. Mommy, is this going to make me stronger or weaker? He got on this kick where he only wanted to eat the food that make him, made him stronger. And you know, many people seek physical growth and physical strength in strange ways. Infomercials and junk mail promises, a secret pill or patch or plan that will make you healthy and strong. Just pop the pill, but you know, no such pill exists, right? In the same way, uh, people perhaps are hoping, hoping by some religious innovation or uh, tradition that uh, they will receive some extra benefit of the Holy Spirit that will turn our 98-pound weakling souls into the spiritual equivalent of Mr. Universe. But uh, Paul, Paul wants the church to know, no, in Christ, you have received all all that you need. There is nothing more. There's nothing more. No hidden wisdom, no ecstatic experience, no angelic revelation or vision, no ritual or practice or tradition that has any power to take you higher than in your spiritual life. And to seek anything else may have an appearance of wisdom in the short term, he admits, but is of no value. Um, when you do something in terms of Christian worship, uh, we uh, are reminded that God has uh, given a command, do not add and do not take away. And so it is that anything else besides what God has commanded is called here in my translation, um, the um, self-imposed religion. It's actually a compound word that uh, you break it up individually. It would be will, worship, hence the old translation. Maybe you have something else in verse 23. But uh, self-imposed religion is universally condemned in the word. Well, I'd like to uh, um, expand upon this idea for you tonight as we just introduced it last time and uh, wanted to rehearse some of those things that we have seen to you, seen briefly. This was a titanic struggle for Christ and his apostles as they so often wrote and spoke uh, in order to defend the true liberty which we believers are to enjoy in Christ, that we are not to pay any mind to the commandments of uh, men or the traditions of men, but only the word of God. 
So let me give you an official statement of our own church's confession of faith, um, uh, reading this to you to summarize what I'd like to explain to you this evening with regard to traditions of men. It says that God alone is Lord of the conscience, and he has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are in anything contrary to his word or beside it, if in matters of faith or worship, so that to believe such doctrines or obey such commands out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience, to require an implicit faith and an absolute and blind obedience, which is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. Um, Our Lord, you remember, takes this up on various occasions, but even he quotes the prophet Isaiah, because this is not a new doctrine in New Testament times. This was a struggle for Israel right at the beginning. Um, I've read to you before from Deuteronomy 12, where God says, take care to obey all that I command you, neither adding nor taking away. No more, no less. Um, It's my religion, it's my worship, and I will tell you what's involved. And so that there's no understand, misunderstanding, he specifies three things. First, do not worship like the Canaanites, he writes. Uh, do not try to worship like the culture that you are going into. Do not ask how they worship their gods, he says. They, they in fact, uh, have done everything I hate. Secondly, you are not to do what is right in your own eyes, Not every man doing what is right, as we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. That has a rather contemporary ring, I think. Uh, We we have things that we like. We We have things that we think are right. That's beside the point. God will have us to know that he will explain to us what he desires. And finally, this blanket command, not adding or not taking away. Whatever I command you, he says, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. And so when we come to worship, we must recognize that God has given us a form of worship. That form is to be filled with hearts of delight and love and joy. But he wants us to worship him according to his word. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll obey my commands. Hypocrites' hearts are far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men, he says. We must practice true worship, obedient joy in the Lord, so that nothing is done out of a mere duty, but all is done faithfully in love and thanksgiving. So um, I'd like to uh, now try to help you, give you some uh, tools to uh, assess things now in the history of the church that have uh, not only uh, crept in here and there, but been a a great struggle in the days since our Lord and his apostles preached these things. The great uh, writer John Owen said, this principle, that the church has power to institute or appoint anything or ceremony belonging to the worship of God, this, this principle that, that the church can appoint what it, what it, when it wants to, that lies at the bottom of all the horrible superstition and idolatry confusion, blood, persecution, and wars that have for so long a season spread themselves over the face of the Christian world. As he looked around in the 1600s 
all these wars, you know, we might think it was over things like justification by faith or the Reformation doctrines of sola gratia. It was for the people, as has been well demonstrated by historians, a war over idolatry. Uh, For the theologians, it was more of a war over doctrine. For the average people, it was a war over idolatry. I don't think that's an overstatement, but a brief history of the conflict in the history of the church would support that statement. Um, we, We read earlier about a kind of worship that Jesus says is completely in vain. The worship in the Lord's day was something that almost everybody was practicing. It had been handed down, uh, it was said, by Moses, uh, handed down through the elders. Um, as the Jews explained it, when, when Moses gave the law, there were two means of communication. One was in writing. Moses gave a written law to the people. The other was oral. Uh, that he uh, handed down um, commands which would be repeated by the elders and father to son all those years later. These religious traditions are today written in what's called the Mishnah, um, a writing from around 200 AD, uh, the end result of scribal efforts to put down a written record of what was called the divine or oral Torah, the oral Torah, these uh, commands supposedly given by the Lord through Moses that uh, extended down to the church. Hand washing was just one of the many commands given. Um, In denouncing the Pharisees, Jesus was not a lone voice crying out in the wilderness, by the way. The Sadducees, for their part, had also rejected a number of these oral law traditions. The Pharisees said, oh, no, 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 the Bible says I will uh, wash my hands in innocency, so I will compass thine altar, O Lord. You see, I will wash my hands, they said. So, uh, still today, you look on the Wikipedia page, they're defending the practice of hand washing according to the word of God. Some uh, uh, taught this justification, some taught that justification, but aside from all that, it was said that God handed down through Moses various teachings which the people are to obey. Um, Well, the the Lord, for his part, flatly rejected that and would not uh, obey the oral Torah of the day. Um, These things which may appear to have some wisdom uh, were, were not actually religious traditions handed down from the Lord, and uh, it's a small ceremony. It wouldn't seem to hurt anyone, but the Lord responds with a very sharp rebuke, quoting Isaiah, for this is new problem. This is an old problem. The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. At the end of the day, God never said to do any such thing, and we are not to follow the traditions of the elders. No matter how ancient no matter how venerated, no matter if they supposedly came down from the Lord himself. The scripture, the word of God, we read, is inspired by God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, 
thoroughly equipped for every good work. There is nothing outside the word of God that is to bind the conscience of men. Uh, Nevertheless, of course, by the time of the Reformation, you'll know that this age-old problem has had lifted its head once again. Uh, There were uh, quite a number of other churches in the East and in the West claiming that their traditions had come from the Lord through the apostles. Uh, Those traditions didn't match. They didn't meet up in many important particulars. Uh, Nevertheless, they uh, likewise contended that their traditions were the divine traditions. And uh, the Reformers made this reply, uh, the Bible says it is a sufficient rule of faith and practice. It is able to make us complete for every good work. The age-old problem is that man is doing what is right in his own eyes, adding and taking away, and even saying that it is of the Lord that this happens. So... um, We uh, also have the situation where, in uh, days of old, Jeroboam created his own worship in the high places which he had made. He installed at those high places the priests which he had ordained. He also instituted offerings on the altar, according to his will. And and we read here, uh, at Bethel, Jeroboam installed the priests of the high places that he'd made. He made offerings on the altar, which he'd made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month, a month that he had devised in his own heart. So he created his own holy days. He ordained a feast for the children of Israel, and he offered sacrifices on that altar and burned incense. Jeroboam came up with his own priesthood. Uh, though God had given no command or authority regarding the priesthood to Jeroboam, he installed them in high places to make it convenient for the worshiper, rather, rather than going to Jerusalem, as the Lord had said. He came up with his own offerings to be offered on a date which he had devised in his own heart. He had his own festivals for the children of the north, complete with sacrifices and incense. So in many ways, it was like the worship that God had appointed in old but it was, at, uh, at bottom, his own. Can, can you lawfully submit to that? Could you submit to things, traditions that were like the traditions of old? Uh, holy days that were like those that God had appointed um, by priests that Jeroboam had ordained. Now, these man-made additions to God's ministry, temple, calendar, offerings, and festivals— Though they came with all the authority, not only of the king, but also of the elders of the land, were enormously popular among the northern kingdom members, but they were called the sin of Jeroboam. And uh, because of his sins of Jeroboam, we read, he made Israel sin. It is henceforth called the sin of Jeroboam, from which the nation never recovered. I'm certainly not saying that all worship offered to God will look exactly or sound exactly like this. Perish the thought. There is a great deal of room for freedom and expression. But true worship will conform to God's rule, and it will be fully joyful in heart. It will be sincere, and it will be scriptural. And so in uh, these various biblical um, cases, I've only given you a couple uh, where God's commands supposedly came from the Lord himself uh, through the church of that day and uh, down to the present, or where the church instituted similar 
ordinances. Uh, in every case, they are rejected. Sacred scripture is to be the rule of all that we do. And um, uh, the, uh, the traditions of the church are different, not only Rome, but the Orthodox Church uh, keeps a variety of different traditions as well. And uh, we need to uh, recognize that there are basically three principles in the church that have been operating. And I'm sorry, I'm a little, uh, a little scattered here. My um, uh, notes not being as uh, nicely, nicely done tonight. Thank you for your patience with me. Um, th- there, there is the traditional principle in the church that uh, is uh, stated both in Roman Catholicism in its way and the Orthodox in its way, that the church is allowed to uh, add various doctrines and practices, but uh, the churches to the east are uh, very reluctant to add anything that hadn't been appointed in the first few centuries. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church, for its part, uh, added its own doctrines, uh, various things like the Assumption of Mary and her uh, sinless uh, birth and life, um, even in the 20th century, you'll know. There is a uh, principle sometimes called the Lutheran principle, because it was Luther who strongly articulated it, but also makes it into the Anglican Church, or the uh, Episcopal Church. The 39 Articles state that the Church has power to decree rites and ceremonies, but it is not lawful for the Church to ordain anything that is contrary to God's Word. So the church can appoint rites and ceremonies, but nothing contrary to God's word. And, um, and uh, uh, there's the uh, Reformed principle, sometimes called the regulative principle, saying that the church does not have the authority to add either doctrines or practices, and that the Lord is Lord of the conscience in every way. Well, so uh, we, we have a variety of approaches still today in the church. Um, John Calvin wrote to his uh, uh, opponent in so many ways, Sadaletto, there is nothing more perilous to our salvation than a preposterous and perverse worship of God. Uh, This vain worship, as Jesus calls it, according to the doctrines and commandments of men, is not only powerless, uh, to make us a holy people, um, it positively will rob us of our inheritance in Christ, he says. Worship is not having a full heart and doing what we please, but having a full heart and doing what pleases the Lord. And only this commitment to what is sometimes called traditional worship, um, uh, as opposed to other things here, the kind of worship that we are experiencing um, we, we need to recognize that uh, although there's a great variety of expression, that we are limited by God's word. Well, I had more to say to, uh, to you on, on this matter. I've, I've cut some things down and rearranged some things, and uh, I will pick up some of the other things from this chapter. What about these other philosophies? What about these days, the, the festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths? Um, I'll have more to say about these matters uh, next time. So I appreciate your, in, your bearing with me today, more like a, uh, a Sunday school lesson than a sermon, and I'll have some more application for you next time. But let's pray together. 
Our Father in heaven, we desire that we might uh, glorify and please you in all things. And having um, uh, received from you a, a worship that is designed not only to make us stronger, but to make us complete in Christ Jesus. We pray that you would bless every part of it to us, the, the, the prayers, the singing, the reading, the preaching of your word, the celebration of your table, that all things should be not only for our good, but for your glory through the church in Jesus Christ. In whom